Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos HSI familia and welcome back to the show. Today we are talking to Dr. Joe Luis Hernandez, who is the director of the Rising Scholars Program at Mount San Antonio College. Dr. Hernandez, thank you for taking the time to be here today on Que Pasa HSIs, where we talk about all things HSIs. But before we talk about what's up and what's happening in HSIs, we'd like to get to know you first. So tell us about your higher education journey from access to completion. I'm a non-traditional, non-traditional student, right? As in you have your non-traditional students. So I'm not even traditional from, from that group of students. I think my educational journey is one, I think that wasn't planned and wasn't really, wasn't really like sought after. So I... I grew up all over the city of Los Angeles, um, the county of Los Angeles, let's say better. And so by the time I was in high school, I'd been in nine different schools and not because of like getting kicked out or being a bad kid, but I think it's consistently my dad lost our houses. So by the time I finished high school, I attended another five schools. And so, um, and in that part, I dropped out of high school three times and then continue to go back at the, at my mom kind of pushing me kind of like telling me and then, and then. During one of those times that I dropped out, I was incarcerated for the first time at 19 years old. I finished high school by the time I was, I want to say 20. And at that point, I'd already done my first uh, time that I was in jail. And then I got out and then I graduated and then I was reincarcerated by the end of the, of the year of me turning 20. And then I got out when I was 21 and I got clean. And I say that because this is my journey, you know, of uh, of like where I've been and it kind of ties into my educational experiences and what I what I kind of see. So when I got clean at 21, I wanted to go to school. And so I went to school to be a drug and alcohol counselor. And at that point, it was 2006. I I went to school my first semester I got straight A's, my second semester I started working and then I kind of talked myself out of school because I found out how much drug and alcohol counselors make. And at that point I was making whatever they made at the warehouse that I was working. And so I kind of told myself, I still don't fucking like school. So why am I going to keep on? And so I dropped out. I was going to Mount San Antonio College. And then, you know, the recession happened in 2008. And then uh, we ha I had a big struggle with everything that was going on. And, um, and I came back to school in 2012. In 2012, I really came back to school. And I like to say this to prove my mom wrong. And to, to show her that I didn't like fucking school. Like, why am I going to go to school? She kept on pushing me to go to school. And I, and she remembers, she said, if you finish high school, I'll never ask you to do anything in life again. And then she kept on asking me to go back to school. And I was like, yo, like you said, you weren't going to ask me for shit. So like, why do you keep on asking me to go to school? So I told her, I was like, I ain't even going to get a good job. I got felonies. I got gun cases. So why am I going back to school? And she was like, because you could do this and do that. And I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm not going to get a good job. I'm not going to, I don't like school. And so I started school in 2012. And I really think um, the community college system is 
is my favorite system out of all the systems. And, and, and I think because of the opportunity that people get as a result of coming to these institutions. And I think I was kind of explained to me the master plan in California and the rates of pay for each institution. And so community colleges based on, on the stigma surrounding them have paid more to attract talent, right? Because everybody wants to say they work at UCLA or a CSU or something like that. And community colleges are often seen like, oh, you work at a community college. But I think I've met some of the greatest individuals at community college. And I think it was that impact that they had on me, you know, um, in this journey. And, and I really, I wanna emphasize two people at Mount Sac, Sid Bartman and Diana Felix. So Sid Bartman was my English professor and Diana Felix was my counselor in the TRIO program, which is another federally funded program called ACES. And so I, like with Sid, she was the first class I took when I came back. And I tested into the lowest English courses, the lowest math courses, I like everything. And, and I would sit in class and I would be like, when the fuck was I supposed to learn all this shit? And, and, and I would tell myself, like, if you would have gone to school, you probably would remember. And so I remember writing a, 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 an essay for Sid and Sid asked us to write a 500 word essay on an experience or a vacation we had. And when I when I spoke to when I when I wrote, the only thing I could remember was the first time I went tagging. And 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 then I was listening to everybody read their essays and I was like, fuck, this dude went to visit his grandma for the first time. They went on vacation. And I'm like, and I'm over here talking about committing crimes. And 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 I submitted it. And and Sid gave it back to me and it was red, like full of just all these marks for grammar, but at the bottom it said, come see me, you write beautifully. And so when I went to go see Sid, um, she goes, you got something that nobody in this class has. And I was like a criminal record. And she was like, no, Joe. She was like, you know how to tell a story and you can write. She goes, we can work on the grammar. She goes, but most of these people don't know how to write the, the, the meat and the chunks and everything. And I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, I really appreciate your story, your details. And, and it was crazy, right? because I felt that I didn't belong in higher education. Like I told you, I was like, I don't even wanna go back. And so Sid told me I was gonna take her next class. And then when I was gonna take her next class, she goes, and now you're gonna take English 68 with me. And she goes, and for English 1A, I'm gonna hook you up with my friend, Tammy. And for English 1C, I'm gonna have Tammy hook you up with one of her friends, right? And I think it's this care that she took, right? Of like, even though I was hard, hardened, I was still vulnerable in this space, you know? And then, so during the next semester, I met Diana. And, and, and at that point, Diana, um, like, you know her, you see her, she's like super, right, like into it. And, and, and this is here, her 10 years later, right? Like I met her at the beginning of like, she had just got her master's degree, she was on it. And I remember she was telling me, Joe, you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that. And you're gonna write a thesis. And I was like, yo, what's the fuck's a thesis? And she goes, this is a small book. And I was like, I was like, you're crazy lady. Like I can't even write these 500 word essays and I'm gonna write a thesis. And she's like, don't worry about it. And you're gonna work at a community college. And I was like, lady, you're crazy. I got felonies, right? Like I, I can't, I'm not gonna get a job here, right? I was like, as a matter of fact, lady, I got gun cases, right? At that time, right? It was like the epidemic of shootings. And I was like, nobody's gonna wanna hire me with this in my record, right? And, um, and so she came in and she was like, now nah, you're gonna do it. And I'm gonna help you, right? And if you notice, she sits on my thesis committee. You know, and, and, and I think those are the two most pivotal moments in my educational 
because I could tell you everything else, right? Like I graduated from Mount Sac with like a 3.8, 3.9. I think the only class I ever got a C in was um, a geography lab, right? I transferred to Cal State LA, got a bachelor's in rehabilitational services. And, and, and then I transferred to Cal State Long Beach and, and, the, and I got my master's in counseling with student development, higher education emphasis. And I think then it's, it's really like Diana had already brainwashed me that I was going to write a thesis. So I came into that program at our orientation. It's a three-year program. And I, and I raised my hand and I was like, yo, so when do I start writing this thesis that I have to write for my mentor? And she was like, and the, and the, and the, 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 the faculty were like, well, we'll get to that in your third year. And I was like, but you don't understand. I got to write this thesis because she told me I'm going to do it. And so I kind of already had this idea of what I wanted to do with my thesis and, and, and the research. And I came in with this understanding of recidivism and education. And, 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 and then through reading her student development theories and various things, I came to find out quickly that the student population isn't nowhere in the literature in higher education. And, and I think so from there, I really began to do the work. And, and I think simultaneously, because when you're in a master's program, you're, 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 you're interning and you're working and, 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 and sometimes it's more practitioner oriented than, than scholarly. Um, and so for me, it was really engaging both developing a network of professionals in community colleges and developing a network uh, of, of scholars. And so I, I did my master's there and, and I graduated. And during that period is when I met Dr. Martinez Eligio. Um, and after there, I went to Claremont Graduate University to get my PhD in higher education and student affairs where, where I finished up my work. I just, I just wrapped up, just graduated. I think it was really an experience for me. Even throughout this whole process, it's always been in my master's program, they told me that I wouldn't get a job at a community college to look at nonprofits. They also told me because of my criminal record, because of being a Latino male, because that I needed a PhD over an EDD because I have stuff that other Latino males don't have, right? Really uh, then being told for EDD programs that I wouldn't qualify because I didn't have the experience because I didn't, you know, this or, or that. Um, I remember when, this lady told me one time, she goes, your GR score for math is really low. And I told her, I was like, lady, if a standardized test was an indicator of where I was going to be, I was like, I wouldn't be fucking here talking to you either way, because I would have dropped out after English 68, because that's what all standardized tests say. I was like, so that, that score's not telling you who I'm going to be. It's just, and I told her, I suck at math. I don't like it. And, and, I, and I think these were all the experiences that I had as I transitioned through every area of, of higher ed and it was just completing I think I, I think Dr. Martinez because along the way I got a Sally Casanova pre-doc scholarship which is a very highly sought after student and a, and a highly sought after scholarship I got the graduate research fellowship with only one student gets that in the in each college at CSUOB the Sally's the 75 students out of the whole system get it right you're repeating with undergrads or graduates um, so like I started getting all these prestigious research oriented stuff and only to be told, right, that I couldn't do an EDD or I should do a PhD. And then also having to, at the same time, I have a family, I have a, I have a wife, I have a son at that moment in time when I was transitioning from my master's to my EDD, to my PhD, to my doctorate. 
Um, my mom and my dad were living with me because they had lost their home. So I was paying for everybody's rent. And so at that point, I had given up on that I was going to go to a PhD program because I had to maintain this family, you know, and and, and I was in it. And it was crazy because at the same time that I'm getting that I have to do this, I'm also getting recruited by by Michigan, by Utah, by Irvine, by um, Miami University in Ohio, USC, right? And and I had to make this decision. I remember having this, and I remember feeling like the only time anybody ever tried to recruit me for anything was in like eighth and seventh, seventh and eighth grade when all the gangs were hitting me up, like, "Hey, you should join this gang, or you should join this crew, or you should." They should come join, and 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 I remember feeling like that, and feeling this experience of like people telling me we can give you this much money, we can give you this much money, we can give you this much money, but then feeling fucked up because in order for me to go anywhere, I had to move five people with, I wouldn't be able to do it at that point, and I think that's when I kind of gave up on it and thought, well, maybe I'll come back to it later. And Dr. Martinez was like, dude, do you want to apply? to CGU, he goes, you're gonna have to pay for it. He goes, but it's a PhD, you'll be with me and, and, and I'll support you in, in, in your in your completion. And I was like, okay. And so I applied, I got into CGU. I'm, I'm, I was like literally finishing up thesis edits as I was sitting in his first summer class. So the overlap um, I think was crazy. And, and I think as I, as I was in class, I remember one time and I was leaving, I don't cry a lot. And I was sitting at a gas station. I started crying. And I think because I didn't ever, CGU is near Holt on Pomona. And so the, 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 just the contrast between what CGU stands for and what Holt on Pomona stands for. And everybody knows what Holt on Pomona stands for. It's like the it's like the, the the center of prostitution, the center of drugs, the center of gang involvement, right in Pomona. It's really active, and I'm over here in this institution, right? And I can be all these students, right? Some of them may have more more than not, they were all meant to be there. But in my history, I was meant to be on the other side of that, right? And and, and so like I was sitting there, and and I, and it just like I was crying because like I. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I didn't know if I would get it. At this time, I, I had my first full-time job in higher education at, at Rio Hondo College, but I didn't know if I was going to complete, right? Because like every time I started something, I was like, well, fuck, this is like a PhD is the highest of the highest of like, like not many people have this, right? And here I am, this like ghetto boy from Southgate, right? From the hood, right? That, that like when people say, oh, you, you know, you don't, you belong here. You know, like, I'm like, no, I got proof. There's a criminal record that tells you, right? Like, here's everything that tells you I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm here, right? So I, I remember that. And, and I think just completing, right, and walking that stage this past May. And, and you know what's funny? is May 13th was the day I graduated. And so for us Latinos in, in Southern California, 13 has a really high significance, right? And so just to have that significance, all right. And then to see kind of the, the emergence of formerly incarcerated student movement in California, right? I think it made, made it feel really, really sweet, right? And also everybody makes fun of me because I hate the color red because of where I come from. And my, my, my regalia is like super red. So I, I think it's funny 
I was like, I should have just gone to UCLA. I was like, I forgot the blue one. But um, I think that's my story. That that's where I I, I come from. Right. I think um, I'm very blessed to be where I am, and I understand. And I, and I think just because of that, just the position of like I should have been on the other end of it, but I but I got to be right at CGU sitting in doctoral classes. And many times we were talking in classes, and I'd get mad because like they would complain about the oppression that they felt. But I'm like, do y'all know what's happening 10 minutes from here? Mm. Right? And it's like, you don't know what's happening on the streets, these people. And I go, and just because somebody calls you the wrong name, right? Like, so I, I think that, that I, but I got to be there. And I think sometimes I voice these concerns or this, so people understand sometimes like, like it's worse. For sure. Thank you for that that beautiful story. I appreciate you sharing so openly with us. Uh, I have so many comments, but we'll spend all day just on this one if I comment on everything. But one, like this last part of your story that was getting me thinking about, um, I always push back on the sense of belonging. Like, you know, sense of belonging is such a big thing, right? We want students to belong, but like who gets to decide who belongs, right? And in your, I think your story, particularly in this last part of it, right? is like, you're basically saying like, I don't technically belong here, but I'm here. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like the idea of sense of belonging for me is so like, I, I don't love that concept for that reason. Cause a lot of folk, a lot of us don't belong in the traditional sort of metrics of belongingness. Um, yeah, we hear. Right. And mm-hmm. I think your story is powerful in that way. You're like, I'm here, even if I don't uh, belong in the, your traditional metrics. Um, so yeah, so that, that's what I was thinking, uh, you know, as you were talking, but also shout out to your amazing mentors and, and to mom as well. So technically you didn't prove your mom wrong, right? Because you actually made it and way further than she actually thought you were going to make it, right? Is that correct? I got like the, I got the <laughs> best job. And I think even today, right? Like I get paid to help people right, mm-hmm. become who they never thought they could, right? And and I yeah. think that's my job. That's my job. Like I, mm-hmm. I, 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 Create, develop, institute, plan, reinforce um, all the things, right? Like everybody at Mount Sac knows I'm a, I'm a drug addict and knows that I've been locked up and that was a gang, right? Mm. From the president to the students, mm. right? And I get paid to be this representative as part of being an, an administrator in, for a program is basically the representative of that program at mm. the table. Yeah, for sure. That's so cool. Love it. And hopefully not in a tokenizing way. I hope you don't feel that. Uh, I think it's you tell us I, more about it. I, I may be tokenized, but I think the understanding is, is that a lot of people think they, they, they want to have this, this rosy view of higher education and that it's not going to happen. I'm like, listen, it's going to happen. Now, mm-hmm. what you do with it when it happens, that's on you. Right. right. And 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 I, and I think they can tokenize me as much as they want. But when my students are telling me, how do I become you? How do I get a PhD? Like, fuck it. You can say I'm tokenized, but I have 191 students this semester that, that, that when I tell them who I am, are like, oh, shit. Or when I tell somebody that's in the drug treatment center who, who, who doesn't know mm. what they're going to do when they get released. Right. Like. It's going to happen. But if you if you understand it's going to happen, then you know how to treat the game accordingly. Right. Absolutely. I love it. 
So I'm going to switch us to, uh, you know, thinking about the fact that you actually went to several Hispanic servant institutions, not one, but multiple, probably until your doctoral program, right? They were all HSI. So tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about your servingness journey or otherwise stated, how did you come in? How did it come into your consciousness? Did that ever cross your mind that you were attending, you know, Hispanic servant institutions um, or not? So it never came into my mind that I was attending Hispanic servant institutions. And I think that's the. That's why I always push people that want to work in higher education to understand what higher education is. Because not until I went to Cal State Long Beach did I do anything that had to do with anything in higher education, right? My my degree in rehab services prepared me to work with disabilities throughout the spectrum from from birth to death, you know, reentering from uh, um, like veterans, everything. It didn't focus uh, on the Hispanic Serving Institution. And, and, and I think really looking until I got to, to Cal State Long Beach. And even then, I, I don't think your work was as prevalent. When I was at Cal State Long Beach in 2016, I, th- I think I read, I might have read an article or two of yours because I, I, I did take courses with Dr. Perez Uber. And, um, but my SDHE course, I think those courses were kind of more, like maybe not as, they were critical, but not as critical as like our, our, our social cultural and other education program. And, and, and so I didn't learn or know what HSIs were until my second or third year of, um, of my master's program. And then in my doc program, I took a course with Dr. Uh, Dina Maramba, who was also one of my, one of my co-advisors. And so she teaches a course on my minority serving institutions. And so at that point, we read all your work. You know, we read everything, and, and and then that's where it was funny because I felt like the PhD program gave me whole classes on on things that the master's program covered for like a week. You know, and, and I think in the master's program they, they give you a paragraph on HSIs, and so I started learning more about what HSIs were, learning more about what um, like my Latinidad meant to me learning more of getting in contact. At this point, I started really talking a lot to like Dr. Melissa Veta, right? And she's put me up on a lot of game and she's really taught me a lot. I think she's the person that helps me navigate, right? The, the criticalness and, 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 and she helps me understand because um, in relation of myself and my experiences to everybody else. Because sometimes I'm in spaces and something happens and I'm like, I don't know if that's that bad. But I think I have to understand that I've ex- probably experienced way worse, but to this person, this is what they've experienced. And, and I think learning about the HSIs and, and, and kind of how, how they serve students gave me that kind of servingness. And I think for me, servingness also came, I'm in recovery. And we talk about being of service and we talk about doing all this stuff. So for me, service sometimes means a different thing than, than what, what, I, what it might mean to my colleagues in higher education. And I think it came it came through that aspect of so then I learned about HSIs and then I think during my master's at the end is when I met Dr. Rodriguez and she was telling me and I was like, Well, since when has Meltzak been an HSI? And she's like, Well, I've been working here since here. And I was like, yo, dude, I was like, I was a fucking student here in 2012 and y'all were an HSI. And I was like, and nobody knew. And it's that hidden agenda, not hidden agenda, but it's that that I don't think a lot of institutions are or the people at those institutions are aware of what that institution is. Because I feel like an HSI is like a collab, right? It's all of a sudden, right? Like Supreme will collab with Nike, 
So then that shirt's worth more than $25 that it should be worth, right? But if Supreme decides to take that sticker off, then it's just a Nike shirt. And that's what these institutions are, right? Like they have this HSI sticker, right? But if, right, somebody in the government wants to be like, we're going to do away with this designation, then that institution is no longer an HSI, but they're still going to be 60 to 80% Latinos at all these institutions, particularly here in Southern California, where the demographic has shifted, right? In California in general, too, right? Like it's heavy, heavily Latino. I know I worked at Rio Hondo College, which is about 80%. Latino, right? So it's not a, a PWI, that's a LWI. No, wait, a PLI. Yeah, absolutely. I love the way you conceptualized it. I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's, you're right, right? Like it's, and it's actually being um, this idea that like a sticker sort of elevates your like legitimacy around, I don't know what, but like think about the UCs, right? In California, the University of California system is going hard right now trying to get, become an HSI system, right? And it, and and I struggle with that because I'm like, for what? For like that that legitimacy of like, ooh, you enroll like diverse students or, right? Like it, it is, it's this weird uh, phenomenon that's sort of come into play um, in higher ed that like people are seeing it as like, it is important to get that. Like there's whole institutions pursuing it hard. Like presidents saying, go get that designation. Um, and I think that's the, like the complication that you kind of talk about, right? Is like what I learned in my minority serving institutions, HBCUs and tribal colleges were founded to serve those populations. But an HSI designation is just, right? All of a sudden mm-hmm. you woke up and, and you have 50%, you know, Latinx, Latina gente there. And then so you're like, oh, let's get the sticker. Right? But the institution was never really created to serve them, whether it's an HSI or not. It was never intended to serve the student. Right. And I think we even did the research and I found that there was like one college in Northern California that mm-hmm. went out of business that was mm-hmm. created to serve Latina gente, but it went out of business. So I was like, so then y'all want to use us for all this stuff, but like there's nothing that was always intentionally created. Right. Like that's what I always talk about the intention of serving the student. Right. When I talk about formerly incarcerated students, people will be like, where our equity plan, you know, focuses on black and and Latino males. And I'm like, it focuses on black and Latino males. Right. And just because black and Latino males have higher rates of incarceration doesn't mean that you're doing the work. Mm -hmm. Right. You're just focusing on an identity. Right. You can see me and you can see I'm, I'm, I'm I'm a brown Latino male. Right. But you don't see that I, that I'm a recovering addict. You don't see that I was formerly incarcerated. And I think with this HSI designation, right, sometimes it's not right. Mm-hmm. Intent, the intentionality behind it sometimes mm-hmm. may not be there. So that servingness that you talk about, right, it's more like we just need the, the, these five million dollars for these next five years. Yeah, that part <laughs> is the is the the. The pursuit of the money, right? That that whole neoliberal aspect of it is like people are pursuing the money. But you said something really powerful, and I say it all the time. If the federal designation goes away and there are no more funds, you still have 80% Latino students, right? Like they're they didn't go anywhere. Just because you don't have the badge and you don't have the funding, you still are Latina serving, right? The hint they mm-hmm. are still here. Uh, so you still got to serve them, whether you have the funds or not. Uh, and the reality is, I mean, in talking about the community college system, almost all they think is we're like at 808 or so of the 116 are HSIs. And, yeah, and, and, it, mm-hmm. and even at that, right, I think the designation and understanding of, of like you said, right, once this is removed, they're still here. You know, like Mount Sac, uh, 
I know you 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 talked to to Diana and them, right? So El Centro was just established three years ago mm. here at Mount Sac. I think three or four years. It was right before Rising Scholars, but we've had uh, an Emoja program and we had uh, an Anapizi grant, right? And a program for for almost a, a, as long as I've been a student. Mm-hmm. But the Centro just came into uh, something intentional to serve, right? Mm-hmm. That student population didn't arise until three or four years, right? Mm-hmm. When 50 to 60% so our, our, our Latine students attend like RNAPZ student stuff, right? They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're finding these homes, but there's never been a home for them, even though Mount mm-hmm. Sac has been in HSI, you know, for a couple of years, you know? And I think mm-hmm. they ended up knowing that like 20 years at least. Mm-hmm. There was never this intentionality of let's mm-hmm. have a program, not a puente, right? Like you, you, they were like, oh, this program ACES is for it. Like, well, the, there's a lot of Latinos in it because they they're looking to serve first gen student, and who just happens to be is this thing of like they just happen to be these other identities mm-hmm. that you want: low income mm-hmm. first gen student with disabilities, formerly incarcerated, foster youth, right? LGBTQ students. The Latino happens to be that. Mm-hmm. But you're not serving right that core identity of being a Latina student. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the intentionality is big, right? That's that's where we're all at, right? And and, and I, I mean to Mount Sac's credit, right? Well, y'all, you, Diana, Lisa, right? Like folks like that are are trying to be more intentional, right? But as you say, this hasn't historically been the approach. Um, the approach has has just been to get the funding in and keep it pushing, right? Like as is. Um, so yeah, so to see folks actually intentionally trying is like, it's dope, right? Like I do like to see that. Um, but I remain critical with you, you know, we can continue to, to support and remain critical. We can, we can be live in dualities, right? That's the reality Mm -hmm. of HSI is you, you can live in dualities, um, and say there's some good things going on, but also we got more work to do. Um, because otherwise we think we arrived and we haven't, (laughs) HSIs have not arrived. So we ain't going to I think any institution has not arrived, right? There's always, Mm -hmm. I believe that we should always remain this humility of, of like, there's always something more to learn. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause, cause once I feel that I've arrived, then I might stop. Yeah. And I think I have to continue to learn. So I, I, I always like, I also like to, when they're like, Oh, you're the expert. I'm formally, I'm, I'm like, I'm not the expert. I'm just a resource. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a difference. Right. Yeah. A resource is something that continues to add to it. An expert is somebody that knows everything and all, all about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about what you are a resource in, um, what you are serve as the director of the Rising Scholars Program at Mount Sac, uh, which is which fosters a college completing atmosphere that leads to increased student success by implementing a holistic approach to student development. Uh, this holistic approach utilizes an asset based methodology and a cohort based model focusing on student strengths to help them succeed and grow. So tell us a little bit more about um, the program and what y'all do. So the way that I put this program, and I'm going to put it in a way that formerly incarcerated people understand, and then I'll explain it. So the first time I got locked up and I went to the county, they opened the gate when you give to your dorm or your home, and somebody meets you at the gate and they ask you, how do you identify? And then you can tell them, right? Say, let's use, let's use, let's use academic terms. Something like, I'm, I'm Latine. And they'll be like, okay. Here are your Latine folks. Here's where your Latine folks sleep. Here's where we eat. Here's where we use the restroom. Here's where, you know, you brush your teeth. These are our phones. This is our TV. This is this. This is that. Uh, if you have any issues, you talk to so-and-so. If you need anything, you talk to so-and-so. If, if you do anything wrong, this is going to happen to you, you know. 
and 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 so in in essence, when you come in, they give you a better onboarding than than when I went to Mount Sac, or I went to Cal State LA, or I went to Cal State Long Beach, or I went to Claremont Graduate University, or shit. When I went to Aki, when I went to NASPA, when I went to anything, right? They do a better job of telling you the rules to what we call the rules to the house and understanding who you are in relation to everybody else in the system than we do as, as an educational or edu- educators, right? Because there's like rules to this game that nobody understands that you have to like, if you don't know the right people, you don't get told, right? And 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 so that's the, the position that Rising Scholars does here at, at Mount SAC is that it's our job to make sure that these students are well aware of anything and everything that they have coming to them that the resources that are available on campus, what 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 we can do to support them, right? Because we also serve students that are not just um, transfer bound. So we serve. So we have what we call four tracks. We serve our students who are working on GEDs or high school diplomas. We have students that are working on just certificates in the credit side. We have students that are working uh, on associate's degrees, and then we have students that are working to transfer. And so our program is, is here to make sure that they have the support, right? And then we're also here to be like, when you're in the hood, you got this group of hitters that whenever anything happens to you, you can always go to them and they're going to back you up no matter what. So then that's who we are on campus, right? When a student has an issue, something arises, right? They can come to us and we can help them navigate any of these issues, right? That, that you know, uh, uh, how a professor treats them, uh, how to get an emergency withdrawal, right? If, if they're homeless, right? Can, can we help them navigate to find any housing vouchers? if they need to see somebody for any mental health issues, right? So uh, we're the hub of all the resources on campus and making sure all the students uh, are available, right? And and it's us putting them up on game to understand how to navigate the institution so they could be as successful as they can. And then at the same time, showing not, not just showing them, but also kind of instituting in them the, the sense of like, they already know how to navigate systems and they already know how to survive. So when they come to Mount Sac, Right, it's is utilizing this this knowledge that's already embedded in them because of their experiences either with the streets or with incarceration, but it's utilizing this knowledge, right, and taking this empowerment so that they can thrive in higher education and be successful. Because that's the one thing that I found through my research and and through coming in contact with the, a lot of the students is the students that were able to 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 kind of transition their their street knowledge to here, and those were the most highly successful students that that were able to advocate for themselves, navigate higher education, find resources, create connections, you know, and, and that's the term that I use, right? We're trying to transition all these students into streetwise scholars, right? So they become, right, in essence, it, then the program develops these students as they already have the information. So then the students across the board begin to share the information with each other, right? And that's the other thing that we kind of really push is like this development of a community so that they understand that just how they acted in the streets where they had a couple of friends, they need to do the same thing here. Or if they're in recovery and they have a support group, they need to find it here because sometimes the staff may be busy, but another student may be able to help them as, as quick as they can. And on top of that, so then, and then we have all your traditional shit, right? Like workshops, transfer, right? Uh, we have academic counselors, we have peer mentors. Some, you know, when funding is right, we're able to provide book vouchers. So those that we have that stuff, but I think the most important stuff is what we create and what we kind of resemble on campus. Okay, yeah, that's interesting for you to think that the carceral system 
tells people how to survive more than the university system, <laughs> the college system, right? Like the way you started, right? Of like, uh, we don't even do a good job of telling people the rules, right? Of like how you can survive in higher ed. Um, and that's powerful. It's like what y'all are doing within the program, right? Is like saying here, here's the rules. There are rules to survival in college and universities. The reality, people ain't being retained because they don't know the rules, right? We don't, we don't always know how to, how to survive within these systems that were not for us. So yeah, that's, that's, that's powerful. Thank you for framing it um, in that sort of way. So you said we started here. So you started the program at Mount Sac. So I started the program at Mount Sac. I was actually um, in 2017, I was approached with a grant uh, mm -hmm. opportunity to, to, to apply to with through the county. Yeah. And so I, at the same time that I started the program here at Mount Sac, I, I uh, was uh, is developing also the program at Rio Humble College. Okay. While we were de developing a student organization <laughs> at Cal State Long Beach mm. with, with my friends, Irene Sotelo and Adrian Vasquez and Dr. James Bernal. Okay. So are there more programs? I feel like as I was doing my research, there was there's a growing number of programs, right? Rising Scholars programs across the community college system? Yeah. So there's a growing number of Rising Scholars programs across the community college system. And one thing that they're doing, so they, they since 2019, they, there's this focus on forming incarcerated students and <clears throat> kind of tracking, developing, and funding that's been attached to it that has been growing as a result of like a push uh, of a group of students like Danny Murillo pushed for it at UC mm. Berkeley. Um, but there's programs, but there's other programs that don't get, maybe because it's not as like shiny as UC Berkeley, but like. Project Rebound at, like, at uh, San Francisco State University has been around for 50 years, right? Which is a, which is a model mm. that has been producing a lot of students for years and years and years, but they don't get as much attention as the underground scholars at UC Berkeley, mm. you know? And, and I think maybe, it, but they're in the same region, right? And underground scholars, I think, I want to say now has been around maybe going on almost 10 years. So there's these institutions and then, uh, a lot of organizing happened from students like at your alma mater. There was revolutionary scholars mm. at, La a a Long Beach State. We we started a student organization called Rising Scholars that predates the Rising Scholars Network, where their name came from. Right, they took our name and, and the community college system took it and didn't really give us any credit for that. Uh, and they just slapped the network on it, and that was it. But I think so. Those are the things that, that that kind of this movement from 2016 forward, where it became kind of more of a spotlight. And I think even in 2020, 2021, 2022, now you got researchers right researching on the the parallels of the prison industrial complex and higher education. But that gets more highlight than the students, the mm -hmm. formerly incarcerated students in the system, or or people right like you have like NASCO put out this five things brief. Um, formerly incarcerated students, but that person wasn't formerly incarcerated. Mm. And you have the formerly incarcerated, you know, you have you you have the formerly incarcerated impacted families knowledge community that was around at the time that five things came out. We weren't approached to write it. Mm. Right. So there's this movement and, and there's this capitalization, but there's not this inclusivity now that I think that could be happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is the 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 knowledge that's created from the folks is usually the more powerful knowledge, right? But we see mm -hmm. that happen, right? When something sort of gets trendy, then people who are not 
you know, part of the original, uh, you know, construct or part of the original phenomenon are start jumping on it. Right. And certainly write about it from their sometimes deficit views or their problematic views or whatever. Right. If you're not from from, uh, you know, within. So. So, yeah, I didn't know. I thought that NASPA community, y'all were like a part of that. Right. That y'all, you, Dr. Abetha and folks who are like leading this. I see y'all as leading this scholarly work. So um, I didn't know other folks. (laughs) We got to ask some questions. We got to ask some questions, but we ain't getting no credit or invited to write it. Mm, Okay, that part. Right. And I think even the first time we met with the people from NASPA, they were like, well, we don't know if there's a real need. Uh, for this knowledge community and I told them and I was like y'all just had a webinar and charge people to fucking watch that shit I go but you don't have a need for a knowledge community I was like you got to explain this to me mm. and then and then the people at Nespa were like uh I was like because you can sometimes the gangster in me comes out and I'm like oh shit but I'm like y'all just charge people for this but you don't think there's a need mm. tell me why and they were like oh you know and and and, and maybe we did push too much too hard. Maybe it's not that there's not a need. There's not an interest. Mm. Right. Maybe that's it. And and you're not interested in you. Right. Like, I think that's what people may not be interested in as, as far as, an, as, as another publication is another, right. I did this, I did that. Right. Like I think for Dr. Beta myself and the people that have worked on it, it's not so much as, 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 an, as a need or an interest. Like it's a passion. I think mm-hmm. like watching you work, it's not, you know, you're not trying to fill out your CV. You're like, you're really trying to get this work done because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where the best research comes from, right? Those of us that are like really passionate about the, the area, um, oftentimes because it's our lived experience and that's okay, right? That's okay. That's, that's sort of like our, our trajectory into this, in this, this area. Um, and so, yeah, let's talk about the research then. I want to know more about what you're learning because as you were talking, I was like, you know, mapping it onto some of the things y'all have been writing about. I mean, even this idea of like a streetwise epistemology, right? Like that there mm-hmm. is knowledges that come from the streets, right? Or, or mm-hmm. come from being car- formerly incarcerated or system impacted. And so, so I think the thing mm-hmm. Go ahead. That, me, that me and Dr. Aveta, right? Because she's like, you know how they say there's like co-conspirators? I was like, I'm gonna call Dr. Aveta like my co-defendant. Right, because at this point mm. we've already been caught, right, and we're being tried. Um, and she's like my co-defendant. I think even Dr. Martinez is my co-defendant, right? Like Diana's like my co-defendant, right? Is these people that kind of propel me, right, and push me to go out outside beyond anything that I ever thought I could be, right? Mm. And, and and so for my students, right, as as I've done the research, and and, and so now I've interviewed, I've done three projects. I've done my thesis, which focused on the strengths of formerly incarcerated students. And that one really, as as I was in my master's program, I began to see that the research only looked at how education reduced recidivism. Mm. But it never looked at how students experience education. There was a sparse amount of research. And then as the research did come out on, on formerly incarcerated students' experience, I believe it was more deficit. I think criticalness can sometimes be deficit because all the research ever told students is you don't belong here because you're going to experience X, Y, and Z. And and I think, so how do you want students to belong somewhere when you're producing knowledge that's telling them like, hey, one, the system you're in is just like the carceral system. So you don't belong here. Two, we're going to produce knowledge on how you don't succeed. So you don't belong here. Right. And, and, And so for me, it, 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 right again, and these are our two vein of researches that that really and they're critical and they're needed, 
but when the student reads it, right, when I was reading it, I was like, fuck, then I don't belong here. Right. And at the same time as people are like, oh, you're a Latino male, you're a unicorn, you're this, oh, you're from like you're they 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 start kind of like telling you you're doing great at the same time internally you're I was feeling bad because I was like oh shit I don't belong here I shouldn't be here it's a miracle I'm here right mm. and then you're seeing this research get produced and then so what I felt when my when my when my thesis I wanted to do is I was like fuck this my homie Danny told me one time he goes why are we going to let them do research on us when they're always going to paint us as animals right they're always going to paint us in a bad light he goes we're going to do research that's going to make Right. And I started my thesis with that with that statement from Danny. And I started my dissertation with that statement from Danny, because it's up to us to create the research that puts us right on on this understanding of we don't just come into this institution as an empty vessel that's going to get banked on. Right. Kind of like how Paulo Fierro talks about. No, we have this knowledge. Right. And this understanding. Right. That that came through like community cultural wealth that comes through funds and knowledge that comes through this understanding. And so what I did with, with, with my thesis is like, I'm going to focus on that. I'm gonna focus on the streetwise knowledge, right? And 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 so what I did there is we created, right? Like I created this anti-deficit perspective on students. And then as I started getting with Dr. Reita, right, it's really looking, right, kind of like how you're with the HSI is not being created for 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 Latin A students. We started looking at theories that weren't created or ever thought of to include formerly incarcerated students, right? Like community cultural wealth, funds and knowledge had a particular demographic of student in mind when when thought of and created and theory theory can be applied to everything right but if it wasn't included right then there's that kind of missing gap that kind of me and the dr Rita come in and that's what streetwise epistemology came in is we merged her 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 information and my information to be like how can we create a theory a framework that has these students in mind from the gate so the foundation is already set that this student is going to be in, in this theory. And so one thing that I did with, right, kind of going back to my thesis, I also thought, I started off with wanting to do all formerly incarcerated students and then began to see that the literature didn't, there was no focus on formerly incarcerated Latinx students. Mm-hmm. And then and then I remember them telling me like, oh, you only got to do males. And I'm like, no, I want to do, do mujeres too. And then they were like, no, right? And I was like, well, I want to include any Latinx student that's formerly incarcerated. Right, anyone, and and no matter gender, right, sexuality, any any, and they were like, no, because research has to be narrow. And I was like, well, then, my 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 advisor was like, and my chair at the time was like, she well, she goes, you have to pick one, or you're not going to do a thesis. And I was like, well, then I'm just not going to do a thesis then. Mm-hmm. And she goes, you're really serious about this. And I was like, listen, I have not been taking fucking notes or anything this whole this whole master's program, so I'm not ready for a comps, but I can do a comps if that's what you need to do, if I don't do both of these people. And then they were like, okay. And so I did, right, all Latinx students, right, when I put my call out. And so so even creating, right, that expansion of, of, of right, adding that student population to formerly incarcerated students, because it was a, there was a real binary in formerly incarcerated work outside of higher education. And then now with my dissertation, I developed another framework, which I call the Concrete Rose Framework, that looks at the experiences. And really, I read this thing in Dr. Martinez's class by Dolores Delgado Bernal and Enrique Alemán on transformative ruptures, which blew my mind. Right. So my dissertation centers on the transformative ruptures that formerly incarcerated Latina students experience as a result, right, of 
the interactions that they have with their mentors who, who Dr. Martinez coined a term uh, where they become a concrete gardener, right? Because they tend to the roses that are growing from the concrete and really like engaging, like how, how do you move right from being an institutional agent, which is one thing what, that, that came from like Santa Salazar to being this concrete gardener, which is I think a little different, right? So what I did with that is I took Tupac's The Rose That Grew From Concrete, his poem, and broke it down and added theory to it, right? And really that's my framework for, for the concrete rose framework on like how Tupac is talking about the rose that grew from concrete, right? Which I believe in that essence, Tupac is the concrete gardener because he's highlighting the rose's experience. And so then that really brought forth the research that I'll, that'll be forthcoming with my dissertation or any publications from it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing with us already. I'm so, I can't wait for the book. I know a book's going to come <laughs> at least to put some publications, right? So we can start to read this. This was what it's so beautiful on um, the things you're talking about. So immediately I'm thinking like, okay, you're right. We, we create frameworks and we have a certain like student in mind. Uh, my serving as frameworks never originally had formerly incarcerated students in mind. Right. Like admittedly, um, your work, that their betas work, like y'all the ones that started pushing me. I'm like, oh, right. And then me starting to to see a lot of the work that's going on, particularly in the California community college system, right? With the formerly incarcerated students. So how do we how do we map some of what you're learning, right? Your frameworks, um, the folks who are tending to the concrete garden, I love that, onto like the servingness, right? What's missing? Like how are how are we not acknowledging serving formerly incarcerated students in the servingness work and in the servingness framework? I think it, it, and it'll always come back to intentionality, right? It'll come back to so, like, I think you can't serve a formerly incarcerated student the same way you're going to serve one of our LGBTQ students, whether you're going to serve one of our Afro-Latino students, where you're going to serve one of our Chicano students, right? Because each of these identities has, has an experience, right? That, 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 like, like, you can have an Afro-Latino that identifies as Chicano who's also an LGBTQ student that has to be formerly incarcerated, but each of these identities kind of changes their trajectory, right? Changes mm -hmm. their lens on experience. So I think when you're talking about how we serve these students and you can't have like, you can't get to everybody, but I think is is having the, the, this, the, this humility, right? Uh, of like, hey, like, listen, like we don't know what you've experienced, but let's try to help you. Let's try to understand you. Let's try to, to support you as best as we can. And, and, and I think one of the things that I, I, as HSI's, we can do right and and I think the other thing that I've been seeing right with 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 a lot of Latine scholars is like the this fetishization also of, of like gang culture or hood culture right so like in my in my dissertation I found that sometimes we have to have experiential humility right like and like this be like yes you may have grown up in the hood but it don't mean you're from the hood hood Right, like there's a difference, right? Like there's a big difference from like you heard a gunshot to you were being shot at, right? There's a difference from like I'm formerly incarcerated, but my experience in, with incarceration might not be the same as a mujer's experience with incarceration, might not be the same, right, as somebody who served 17 years, right? I got about two years tops, maybe 18 months, right, of incarceration throughout my history. So I can't, so there's also this experiential humility that we have to have, 
with with that that really focuses on our experiences and 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 not trying to be like yeah yeah I, I, you know I grew up in the valley too or I grew up in Southgate too right like like yes you grew up in Southgate but like you weren't right where I was at right oh like so I can't say right to like my student Carlos like yeah 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 I've been locked up Carlos I never fucking walked the yard the way that Carlos walked the yard and had to do the things that Carlos had to do. I may have done something, but not the way that, that, that he has, right. Or, or, or another student has. Right. So, and, and I think with this serving this, what we could begin to talk about is like this humility, right. Of like understanding how do we approach the student, right. In a conversation of like, maybe let's just support you. Right. And, and, and as institutions, right. That are HSIs, right. And they want to do serving this, maybe they could do a map of like, okay, what is what is the incarceration rate around our institution? What do we have any juvenile camps in our districts? Do we have any any jails in our districts? Do we have any prisons in our districts? Shit, is our 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 outreach team right only outreaching to to our, our high schools, but are they going to the alternative schools? Shit, are they going to the parole meetings? Are they going to the probation officers and letting them know, right? Like, hey, we're here, right? Right, when you we, like if everybody right now is in California is on enrollment and all of higher education is on enrollment trends, right? Then these are the places, right? So one thing that Rising Scholars does is we go to drug treatment centers, right? And, and, and go pose education to the students there, right? To the future students there, right? So as an HSI is looking, right? Let's look at the whole Latin student. What are the varying experiences that encompass, right? Our, 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 our communities here. And so that when we go do outreach, we're going to do an outreach to those intentional communities and present the information, right? And, and, and be like, hey, you can come to this campus at Mount Sac and we have Rising Scholars. We have El Centro. We have the Pride Center, right? We, we have Umoja. We have all these to, to help you, but not being like, so when a student, like I'll, another example is when a student comes to me and they talk about being in the foster care system, I'm not going to try to address the foster care system portion of them, I'm going to introduce them to our Reach Guardian Scholars Program, right? Because they can help with those issues or they can help with that that kind of navigation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what I'm immediately thinking, though, is like, okay, so we recruit people in, we are recruiting differently, we're getting folks in, we have programs to support them. What about in the classroom? I talk about a lot of like, we have, what we have to do for serving this is like, change the curriculum, change the faculty composition, change the way we deliver courses, right? Like, are, are we then sending students into uh, curricular spaces that aren't ready for them that maybe aren't going to be as supportive as like, let's say the program? Like, how, how are you feeling about that? Like, how are you starting to like, infiltrate that, right? Like the curricular system so that they see, I always say our students should see themselves in the curriculum, right? Our formerly incarcerated students seeing themselves in the curriculum as a faculty, as a curriculum, you know, in the books, any of that kind of stuff. So I think there, there's a growth and there's a, a, a new, I think a, a, as a student, I think one thing you can't always have everything in the classroom to respond to every student, right? And, and, and I think so when you have intentional things, like so we this summer we have, and last summer we had this program called the Rising Dream Program, which is our rising scholars, our dream students. And this year we're including our foster youth, which is three, as my friend Dario Fernandez says, he calls them systems impacted, right? Because these students are not born with this identity, but some, there's a system that impacts them that creates this identity that is then, I wanna say, not that they embrace, but that is imposed on them, 
you know, and so we and Dario, we've been having conversations on the systems impacted identities versus, right, you have your affinity groups, right, like a racial identity, right, or, or, or like a, a gendered identity or, or like a sexual orientation identity, right? And, and so when we look at, at, at these three students, so we have this professor, his name is uh, Jacob Terran, and this fool is dope, right? And I remember he was doing his 1C class. And my favorite, one of my favorite rap groups is Psycho Brown and, uh, and Sick Jack. And so he let me know that for one of their critical thinking uh, pieces, they break down a song and its lyrics and what the song is telling them, right? So I was like, bro. And then he was like, and then he told me the song is called Palace of Exile, right? And, and that's a song by Sick Jack and Psycho Realm that focuses on the carceral system here in Los Angeles, right? And the experiences of people in the carceral system. And if you listen to it, right? So, so Jacob breaks that down with the students. Right. And then he asked them, tell me a song that impacts you. Right. And I, I don't want to give too much of what he's going to do. Right. But, the, but he wants to do a gallery walk of songs so the students can explain them. Right. So it's kind of be like kind of like a poster presentation now of like when we stand and we do our research. So the students are going to be like this song impacted me this, 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 this and this way. Right. And, and really engaging the way that, that he does. And so that really helps our students. Right. Like like begin to see what they are. And I think one of the things that we do through Rising Scholars is we do what we call the homie training, right? And, and we changed, um, we flipped the script on that, right? Because they're, all, they're always called ally trainings. But one day I was talking to my friend, Brittany Morton at Homeboy Industries, who's created the, 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 the Liberating Scholars uh, Educational Training, which is a training on formerly incarcerated students where through the Breaking Barriers Network, you can hit her up, Google her, to find and do those trainings. So we were talking and I was like, yo, nobody ever says in the hood, like, let me introduce you to my ally. So what if we called it the homie training, right? Because everybody tells you, right? And then de defining what a homie is, right? They're trustworthy, they're there for you, right? And they're willing to, you know, to said, get into good trouble with you, right? So this is what a homie is. And so then that kind of like reframing everything. And that, I think from there, then you can start looking at like, okay, the root causes of certain things for formerly incarcerated students. I think as long as there's, because they don't only belong in sociology courses on societal problems, right? It could be like, okay, what about formerly incarcerated, right? Writers, you know, activists, and like bringing, right, that, that, that duality of these natures. And I think little by little, we're working on it, right? Um, I think sometimes at a community college, we're in these, like, they're like gangs and they're very territorial. So sometimes we can't take stuff that we want to do, like here at Mount Zach, and go to like a prison, like Chino State Prison, which is close to us, but it, it, it's out of our district. So we can't begin to teach, right? We'll have that, that kind of like, okay, how do we change that stuff? But there are programs like Prison Education Program with, with Dr. Renford Reese. Um, Pitzer has an inside out program. I think it's the CUNY system in New York has a program. I even want to say, don't quote me on this, but I think your institution might have a program. Yeah. I think there's a couple of institutions, right? So it's not just like California. There, there, you know, Dr. Aaron Castro has a lot of programming in Utah on mm -hmm. on, on on in prison education. But I think that's the other that's the other uh, thing is is that there's a big movement on in prison education, mm. right? That sometimes I continue to kind of like. I'm over here when they come home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's different for sure, right? Like the in-prison uh, educational system versus, yeah, folks who are 
are enrolling in the community college system and, and are, are no longer in the system, well, they're still system impacted, obviously, but um, yeah, it is, it's very different. So thank you for that. I definitely was thinking about like, you know, curriculum does need to be responsive, but you're right. It doesn't mean necessarily it's like only for one particular group, but, but even the idea that like we can learn from song or poetry or art or street art, you, you started your story with like, you know, graffiti, right? Like, and, and street, that's street art, right? That, that's, that's, and, and mm-hmm. some of our students may see it as that, right? That it's street art. Um, I've been, I always talk to folks about like, do you, do you have a mural on campus? Murals are serving us. Uh, are you letting your students create the murals, right? Maybe they're, mm-hmm. that's their way of, of sharing their knowledge, right? That that's a form of knowledge, right? Like um, uh, doing graffiti, right? Like it's art. <laughs> it clearly is art and it tells a story. Right. Back to the mm-hmm. original, like you said, the person, the first person who told you, right, your English professor who told you you're a good storyteller. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's how I kind of think about it is like how we are responding to our students that are coming from all kinds of different experiences is like knowledge is a lot of things. Right. It's not mm-hmm. just one way of, of sharing how you uh, are understanding the content. So. Awesome. You're giving me so much to think about. Um, and I know we're wrapping up coming on, on the end of our time. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was like, I talk about these external influences on serving this, like state level policy, federal policy, HSI grants, um, and even like foundations. Like, do you see those sort of external influences um, supporting this work? Like, are you starting to see like support to do work, uh, like with the rising scholars program and other programs that are coming up to support formerly incarcerated and system impact people. And like, who are those folks who's, who's supporting this like asset based approach to support? I want to say yes and no. Yes. There, I want to say yes, because there have been folks that have supported things, but I think sometimes the truth is, I think with our population, sometimes it's a one-off, right? Oh, or like it was our focus this this the the, the this grant cycle, right? So you had like things like the Opportunity Institute did a lot of uh, grants and really started the grant making pro- uh, process that kind of expanded Project Rebound into almost all the CSUs. You have, I think it's um, they put out in 2020, right, uh, the Campaign for College Opportunity put out, um, they had Danny Murillo, uh, they housed him for a year, um, and he has a report called the Possibility Report. Um, that He did the same thing with the Michelin Foundation, and that was the, the most recent one where they did a couple of, um, what do you call it? They, they did a couple of webinars on formerly incarcerated students. I think, but, but, but I think once those end, there's never, I don't think there's a foundation that is super like this is our focus is this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to raise money for right and that there's a new one that that's bringing up it's been around for a little while it's called the formerly incarcerated FICG formerly incarcerated college graduates network and so they're about they they started getting some funding and they're about to blow up I want to say because I've been in contact with um them here and there I also want to say like our trio programs the 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 um council for opportunity and education has literally flown me out to DC to do um, with FICGN, uh, Terrell Blount, 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 I think is his name, to do uh, a congressional, um, to talk to, to some of the Congress staffers on like the reentry process and the Pell Grant, right, being restored with the Second Chance Pell Grant. So now I think it's coming into light and, and we've been talking 
So at the same time, I always ask like trio, like, yo, I'm your alumni. As a trio alumni, I'm like, what are y'all going to do for formerly incarcerated students? Right? Like, you got a veterans upward bound. You got an SSS. What about a formerly incarcerated SSS? Right. That really, you know, serves the student population. So they're, they're, they're beginning to talk about doing stuff like that. Um, those are the things that I've done. I know some foundations have provided funding, but there's not like, like I know here in California, we go to the Pritzker Foundation and their, 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 their focus is really fostering, but I don't think there's anything like that for formerly incarcerated people. So the foundations haven't really, I think it's one offs while well, we got some funding and we, we're doing this. Um, California did put a line item in their budget for for Rising Scholars Network, and they but they they separated into two pots. So there's the adult pot and then there's the juvenile pot. And I'm a little angry because the adult pot equated to a maximum amount of 170 thousand a year for three years, and the juvenile pot starts off at almost 300 thousand dollars a year for five years. Right, and and, and so that so. I think instead of, so you have like colleges competing, right, to serve. Now, now what you're doing is you're splitting the population into two different populations and one is being funded at a higher rate than the other one. You know, really looking at like, I, I think that then that becomes to happen because, right, sometimes formerly incarcerated people aren't on those committees or they're may, maybe they're not as listened to when they say like, hey, you're really splitting, right? Because imagine if they just gave us like 300, 400,000 to serve both populations, right? That's a really big chunk. Uh, they're giving $300,000 a year to serve you, right? For the adults, they're giving 170,000 to 190 to serve the adults. And if you, if, if, like and in the California community college system, that's like a full-time salary member for the adults, right? With a little bit of funding for programming for the youth, right? Like you really, you could do a lot with that, you know? And, and I think as, as as campuses that have done it really well, you got to look at Imperial Valley College, right? With Dr. Uh, Marta Garcia, she did really well in developing, right? Like her formerly incarcerated student programming, which is dual nature, is on campus and, and, and in the prisons in those areas. And that's because it's a rural college. It has more of a wide access than Mount Sac can't be. But I think those are what I've seen, the foundations, um, the newer legislations that, that have been supported, right? California, we have the Fair Chance Hiring Act. Right, which really tells uh, the state of California that they can no longer use a person's criminal record against them in the process of hiring. You know, because some students, like for myself, I've had to write letters to prove like why I believe I've been rehabilitated, and then have it voted on 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 if people believe that I'm rehabilitated. And I'm like, I got a whole ass PhD now, right? But this is what's good. But I'm also understanding it's new. So this is going to continue to happen, right? And, and, and so I'm just going to have to continue to inform people of my rights, my responsibilities. And some days I have to write it, some days. But then when that happens to me, then I can prepare students to write their own and let them know, hey, when you're, when you're getting a job, this is probably going to happen to you, but this is what you need to tell them. This is what you prepare, right? Yes, it's fucked up, but right now, this is our reality. Ten years from now, it might not happen anymore. You know, hopefully.
Wow. You've given us so much to think about. I appreciate it. It's like a, a lot to think about um, in general and serving uh, formerly incarcerated students um, and in HSIs, right? And now HSIs can think about this more intentionally, um, how foundations can think about it more intentionally, how the state can think about it more intentionally, right? Like this, all these different factors come into play and in how we can actually uh, serve students. So, so I thank think, you. Add mm-hmm. One more yeah. thing. I think even organizationally, right? Because a lot of my friends, as I was in NASPA, mm-hmm. a lot of my formerly incarcerated friends that want to be in higher education were in NSHIP, which is the National Council for Higher Education and Prisons, mm. right? But they they have their own organization, but like everybody that oversees those programs in higher education, prison are like at NASPA, our ACPA, and, but we don't have nothing at NASPA and ACPA. So my friends are all hanging out, having fun. And some days I'm like over here by myself and that, and, and I'm meeting great people and I'm meeting a great network and I'm creating like this, this, this understanding for myself. Right. But I, I, I think what we could do, right. Like is begin like the sad matter of fact is sometimes like if I don't present at the conference or Dr. Rita doesn't present at the conference, right. Ash don't have stuff on, on formerly incarcerated students. A.R.A doesn't have stuff on formerly incarcerated students unless it's me or Dr. Veta, right? NASPA does the same thing, right? And I begin to see here and there with people I encourage to apply. You know, like we can look at, okay, like do we, me and you team up on a proposal to to, to do, to it's ASHI, right? A-S-H. The, the, oh, yeah, the, uh, I see. Yeah, A-H-S-I-A-E. I see, uh-huh, right? Yeah, at, I see. At, at colegas, right? Like I'm going to mm-hmm. submit, right? But if it's not me or Dr. Veta, then who? But at the same time, right, I have my friends applying to all these other conferences, right? Mm. But I tell them, like, you're over there preaching to the choir, mm-hmm. right? They already, they can sing the song word for word. I was like, these people over here, like, they're going to love the song, but you got to introduce them to it. And mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing we have to do, that that we have, that's why we started the FISIF uh, knowledge community, right? That's why we go present at ARA at ASH and stuff like that, you know? I've had more proposals accepted to ARA than to ASH. Mm. Yeah. Right. So we're, you know, creating that kind of knowledge and, and that, that, that growingness, but an AHI, right. We've presented mm-hmm. AHI a couple of times. So I think it's those organizations as well can also begin to, to kind of create or invite people to, to, you know, present on that knowledge. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think also too, y'all are just bringing awareness to something and, and it might even be identities that like many of us have, like the idea of system impacted, like I never thought about that as people who are, have like, you know, close family members or whatnot as, uh, that were, have been in the system, right? Uh, me and my partner were talking about this episode as I was getting ready and we're both system impacted. My dad was incarcerated when I was in college, you know, like mm-hmm. I would have never had that identity had y'all not started doing this work. Right. And so I think y'all are doing that as well. Right. Like allowing, providing those of us that are that are probably part of the community. Right. That like we're like, oh, we never thought about it like that. Right. Like It's something you hide. You don't say you don't tell you don't admit. Right, to hear somebody like you come on and, and and you know speak very powerfully and openly, I think is part of this process, right? It's like you're helping create and open the uh, the doors for for a lot of people. I think so. Keep doing it. Keep knowing that it matters a lot. You keep carving out those spaces, carving out those spaces in, in Ash and I see in ARA and all those sort of things, because I, I think it, it 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 does matter, right? You are uh, opening the doors for for a lot of folks, right, to even have this identity and be okay with it. 
um, it shouldn't be something that you feel, uh, you know, some sort of way about, right. That you're embarrassed of or whatever. So, so no, thank you. Thank you for, for doing this work. It's, it is important and it is very impactful. So thank you. Thank you. Last question. Nobody gets out of the pod without answering. ¿Qué pasa HSIs? If you got to respond, you got, you got the HSI folks listening. How do you respond to that? ¿Qué pasa HSIs? Well, I think when you ask that question, right, ¿qué pasa? is like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Right. So what's happening in your institution that you're not aware of? Right. What's happening at your institution that maybe you could shit, like show up to, you know, maybe what's happening at your institution that maybe you could speak on. Right. Maybe you can. Sometimes it, it, it is putting ourselves in these vulnerable positions like HSI administrators. Right. Like I know Diana told me one time that that trio folk were the folk that had the biggest hearts and that loved the students the most. So I was like, what? Well, so, so what's up, HSI? Is like, what kind of what, what kind of agents are working for you? Right? What kind of folks are you? You know, what are you really interested in doing? What are you really gonna, right? Kind of create support. Like sometimes I make sure that there's certain stuff on campus that I, as a formerly incarcerated Latino male, show up and just stand at, right? And and, and so those populations know, right? Like, okay, Joe's here. He's here, and, and one day I can see him and say what's up. Right. I think that's at the very least, can you do that? Right. At the very least, can you create that support? Right. Dr. Dr. Rodriguez comes to my stuff. Dr. Rodriguez sports my stuff. Dr. Rodriguez, right, when they went to Haku, she uh, and she was like, Do you want us to get something so that we could give and people create awareness of rising scholars at this organization? Right. Because now as higher uh, as higher education creates these formerly incarcerated students programs you're going to create a new pathway for people like myself, right? That could have these jobs, but are these jobs going to be it, right? Or are you going to create, right? Like, are we going to see a formerly incarcerated person, right? At Haku's leadership academy, right? At Aki's leadership academy, right? At the great deans, right? So now, right? Because my dream ain't always to be the director of rising scholars now, right? What if I want to be a president? What if I want to be a vice president? You know, like, there's nobody like me in these institutions, in those positions. I've never met anyone like that. So like HSI people like, pasa? like what's up? Are you going to help us get there? Or are you going to just help us get to being a director of a formerly incarcerated student program? And then you're just going to drop us off right there and be like, los demos. So you can could, you could retire. And it, I'm not going to say like, I'm very well paid. And I probably could retire from this position. But like, I was told I wasn't going to work at a community college by a vice president of an institution. So I at least want to be a vice president of a community college. A lot of people told me I could be a a, 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 um, a president. Like that one is still far-fetched for me, but maybe the one out of resentment to be a vice president because of that. But I think that's what, that's what, like, are you going to support us? Like to have dreams that build us, right? Are you going to support, right? Now that we've done a lot of formerly incarcerated student work, is it time that we also now do formerly incarcerated professional work? What does the support of a formerly incarcerated professional look like? Right? What does the support of a formerly incarcerated faculty member look like? Right? Do we do we begin, right? How do we steer them into higher education PhDs rather than to sociology, criminology, right, PhDs? Right? There's 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 this there. But like sometimes ever since I got from my master's program at Long Beach. Every year after me, there's been a formerly incarcerated student. Right before me, I don't know, but there it's never been on record. But now 
right? There's formerly incarcerated students at every cohort after me. And it was it because I was there? Maybe, but maybe because it was these programs are developed. So now there's this this hope that I can do these counseling degrees in higher education. So get pasa HSIs, right? Are you gonna are you, are you gonna come out and support us? At least through some of y'all have been doing HSI work for many years with grant writing, with administrating. Are y'all gonna mentor a formerly incarcerated person? And that's what's up. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I appreciate your time.